Um, got a few uh, images that I'm, I'm just going to put on the screen. I think the first one said simply good and evil. Um, just uh, take a few minutes to read uh, what's on uh, the pictures, if they have words. Um, it kind of leads into what I want to talk about this morning. So uh, go ahead, Morley. We spent the last uh, number of weeks uh, looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer, and this really is kind of the end of that prayer, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And um, when I think of the word sin and I think about the word temptation, they are pretty bold, kind of in-your-face kind of words. Um, at times there are words that sort of make us squirm a little bit. If I was to ask, uh, you know, stand up if you actually know what it means to feel temptation, uh, there would probably be nobody sitting. It's a reality that we know about our own lives that there is uh, sort of an inner struggle that is part of who we are. Uh, sometimes our culture likes to use uh, words such as guilty pleasures. Somehow sounds a bit less judgmental. Um, and others, I guess, may attempt to live as if these words and what they mean don't really exist. To attempt to live as if sin doesn't exist, temptation doesn't exist, you just live. But I think everybody knows... Uh, in their heart of hearts, exactly what these words mean. People will find themselves drawn to the snack food aisle, or people may occasionally find themselves in a lineup at a drive-thru at a fast food restaurant, even though they've determined to start eating healthier. People will be told things in confidence that somehow they let slip out publicly. We're able to love people and at times manipulate the people we love. Every day millions of people see their computers as a resource, as a valuable tool and at the same time, millions of people face the computer as a temptation. We are in the middle of tax season. 
And millions of Canadians will look at that line that says taxable income and they will face temptation. Will I declare that as income? Will I not? And I find myself thinking, what is this all about? Where does this even come from? Why is this part of our human experience? And this prayer lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil really isn't an invitation to look at our very soul. And it's an invitation to look into the reality of a spiritual world. Ethical versus unethical behavior. Honorable actions, dishonorable actions. And at an ultimate level, this struggle of good and evil. How do we explain it? I think that's probably beyond our comprehension. I, I just want to say I think some of the questions involved in this are truly beyond our comprehension. It's probably a better question to ask, how do we deal with it? It's the classic narrative of good and evil depicted in virtually every movie worthwhile watching. We're fascinated with this theme because it's played out in every one of our lives. We know it's there because we actually understand the struggle to deal with it. This prayer speaks of God's kingdoms. God's kingdom, pardon me implying that there are other kingdoms at play. This prayer talks about God's will, implying that there are other wills at play in our lives. There's our own will, and there is a will that is truly evil. There is a battle of wills that's part of our individual story and part of a much bigger story. The Bible is quite blunt about our tendency to be drawn uh, to what is called the lust of the flesh. Paul, quite often when he writes to the churches, he would have lists about, you know, this is the way you used to live. This is the way you used to think. You have accepted the reality of Jesus. This now is the way that you should walk. This is the way that you should think. They're interesting lists. Lust of the flesh. So if you were to take Paul's list and say, well, okay, which ones go under this? Which ones go under that? Not that that's a necessary exercise, but lust of the flesh would include things like adultery, immorality, pornography, gluttony, anger. Those things that at times can well up within us that are truly the lust of the flesh. 
the lust of the eyes. Well, I think we could put in there things like envy, jealousy, greed, covetousness. And then they talk about the pride of life, arrogance, self-sufficiency, and maybe even fierce independence. No need for God. Our adversary, whether you want to say Satan, the devil, or the evil one, his desire is to actually feed those desires. To minimize sin and to give license to self-indulgence, ultimately leading, the Bible says, to death and destruction. Deliver us from evil. Some translations say, deliver us from the evil one. God's desire is actually to free us from these things. To create in us new hearts, transformed lives, leading to new life and ultimately eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul understood this human struggle so well, he asked at one time the question, who or what can free me from this inner turmoil? Paul says at times, I find myself doing the things I do not want to do, and I find myself not doing those things that I know I should do, and maybe even deep down would love to do. And Paul says it's an inner struggle, and he says, who will free me from it? Detractors, let's say those who don't like the conversation about sin or the conversation about temptation, may argue that religion is simply man's simplistic attempt to explain the complexity and the frustration at times of what it means to be human. That religion is the concoction of man to explain things he doesn't understand. Christianity declares its faith in one true God, creator of heaven and earth, a good, just, righteous, holy, loving God who is perfect in all his ways. The Christian faith speaks of a God who was an in the beginning God. Christian faith speaks of an ever-present God. And the Christian faith speaks of an in the end God. And for those of us who acknowledge God and accept Jesus, he is an indwelling God. Christian faith also openly declares the existence of sin, of temptation, of the evil one. So when the Bible speaks about God, when the Bible speaks about Satan, or the devil, or our adversary. The Bible is not speaking allegorically. 
It is a declaration that they exist. God is real. The evil one is real. Sin and temptation are not abstract philosophical concepts, but rather they are the reality of our lives. And people are influenced and impacted by these spiritual realities, I would say whether they choose to acknowledge that or not. They are at play in people's lives. The real goal, I believe, of the evil one, the enemy of our soul, is not simply that we would occasionally sin or fall or be tempted. The real goal of the enemy of our soul is that we would reject God. But when the Bible also speaks of the cross and the resurrection, it does so as historical realities. And when the Bible speaks of the cross and the resurrection, it speaks about ultimate spiritual victory. The Christian faith declares the grace of God, expressed in the person of Jesus Christ as God's response to this inner struggle and the reality of sin and temptation that our faith actually is not something from the heart of man. It is a gift from the hand and heart of God. That's why Paul, when he talked and he thought about his own dilemma, about what's going on inside him, his answer was simply this. Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ, my Lord. There is no temptation that Jesus does not understand. That's quite a statement. There is nothing that we might struggle with that Jesus does not understand. And there is nothing that we struggle with that has not been covered by the cross and the blood of Jesus on our behalf. That Jesus is our victory. And today, as we sit here in the comfort of Creekside Church, Jesus is our advocate at the right hand of the Father. His righteousness on our behalf. And so ethically or morally speaking, when we have a good day, Jesus is our victory. And if ethically or morally we say, you know what, that was not a good day, Jesus is our victory. Paul's conclusion that in the temptations of life, our victory only, always, always will be simply in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. There was a, a slide that uh, didn't get up there. 
and I'm not sure who said this, he said there's a tendency sometimes for people to either pretend that the evil one, Satan, the devil, doesn't exist, or there's a temptation sometimes to get preoccupied with the evil one. And I would say this morning in the battle that we have and that we live out, I would say do not focus on the evil one, but embrace the cross of Jesus. Run into the loving arms of your heavenly Father and give thanks for the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. His Spirit reminding us of the love of God and the righteousness of Jesus motivating us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. To focus on that which is true, pure, honorable, beautiful. Focus on things that are beyond reproach. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That in this battle, God reigns supreme. The Lord's Prayer, in the beginning it talks about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it ends with this phrase, thine is the kingdom. It already is his kingdom. God is already victorious, supreme over all things. Thine is the power and the glory. It already is His. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is some debate about this line. And it has an awful lot to do with how we interpret the word temptation. Some argue that temptation should be thought of not so much as an ethical or moral struggle, but we need to interpret this line as rather temptation being a test or a struggle or a trial. I actually think to interpret that way alters the meaning of this line. There are many New Testament passages that talk about tests and trials and struggles as being for our good. That in the tests and trials of life that we would hang on, we would persevere, we would not let go of God. And so if you interpret this passage as, well, he's talking about tests and trials, I think we would always need to say, God, feel free to bring trials and struggles into my life. But it's not the way I read this verse. I'm going to read a bit um, this morning from James. I think sometimes it's helpful to look at other places in the Bible that seem to talk about this same idea of sin, of temptation, and of tests and trials. And in James 1, verse 2 to 4, 
James says this, consider it pure joy. Now, I don't know if you could have much higher elevation than to say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That, too, to me, within the Christian walk is an amazing statement. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking, not lacking anything. And a bit later in the same passage, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those passages talking about tests and trials are not a conversation about sin. I mean, we can ask lots of questions about why is it that that person is being asked to walk that road. Why is that person struggling with health issues? And I want to say those are not sin issues. We need to see those as tests, trials, struggles that are meant to test our faith. And we need to pray for people who are in that place. When I read the line, lead us not into temptation, I read it and I interpret temptation as referring to a moral or ethical tension in our lives. That's how I read this verse. And I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that God does not lead his children into temptation. God only leads his children into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so when I read this line, I say, God, keep us from a path that leads us to temptation and sin. If we were to attribute temptation to God, I think we can only do that in a very broad context. Jesus said this, I am not asking you to, I think he's talking here about followers of Jesus. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. And I want to say being in the world brings the temptation to become like it. It was the temptation of the people of God in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel, they looked at the nations around them. They looked at the gods around them. And it seemed like in those nations, their gods were enticing because they seemed to give license freedom to immorality. Jesus 
Jesus asks us to live surrounded by the world and resist the temptation to become like it. And I would say this is the greatest ongoing test that we have to truly, in the midst of a world that increasingly denies God, is to acknowledge God and to follow after him. So it's safe to say that God has brought us maybe into an environment in which temptation will exist. But he asks us to resist, to stand firm, to fight the good fight of faith, and resist the temptation to be conformed to the patterns and thinkings of this world, but rather to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might increasingly live as new creations and walk in obedience to God, to seek to walk in a worthy manner because of the cross and the resurrection. So when I read this, I say, God, keep me, keep us, from walking down a path that leads to or invites temptation and sin. James, who I quoted earlier, when he talks about trials, tests, struggles, in that same passage, he also talks about temptation. And he says this, and I think we need to hang on to this. James 2, 13 to 17. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. We need to hang on to that with our whole heart. Temptation comes from our own desires. I think that makes reference to the struggle of wills that are involved in our lives. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag away, drag us away. Don't blame God for it. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. You want to know what comes from God, whatever is good, whatever is perfect, is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Never. And he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, have become his prized possessions. He loves you. God is light and in him is no darkness or shifting shadows. I want to say in contrast to that, the evil one, our enemy, in this struggle is a shadowy figure. 
that the evil one casts many shadows because he is always changing. At times he's described as a prince of darkness. But he's also described as one who masquerades as an angel of light. That he is our deceiver, our tempter. He is the enemy of our souls. And the Bible says, I think there's such a great line, when he lies, he is speaking his native language. And so I read these lines, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I read them with gratitude and assurance. That in the big spiritual battle of good versus evil, God is our deliverer, God is our victory, and today he rules and reigns supreme. And when you zoom into the reality of our individual lives, be assured that God your Father is not in the business of temptation. Our Heavenly Father is a forgiving Father. Jesus is our deliverer, our Savior, and our victory. In Ephesians, it talks about, in this battle, to put on the whole armor of God. That would be another whole sermon, but it's talking about putting on faith, putting on righteousness, putting on that which is true, putting on salvation. talks there about being alert. I think we need to always be alert. It talks also in Ephesians about the word of God and to be constant in prayer. That in the struggle, the word of God needs to be part of our daily bread. It talks about that earlier in this prayer. In this struggle, we need to be spending time in the living word of God. We need to live knowing we are forgiven people. We need to be people, therefore, who forgive. We need to be people who heed God's inner voice, that voice that speaks into our very soul, and seek to walk honorably before our God, honorably before our Father who art in heaven. This morning I simply went in by saying, God, I thank you that you do not lead us into temptation. Ever. But you lead us in paths of righteousness. That's where God is seeking to lead us. Thank you, God, that you are our delivery, deliverer. You are our victory. And I thank you for the incredible good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really is the, the message of Easter that we're only a wee bit away from. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back, and I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, I... I give you thanks, Father, that you understand us, that you know us. There is nothing about us, God, that we could hide from you. And, Father, we acknowledge that um, the life we live here 
is not a life that we live without failure and without struggles, without temptations, and Father, without sin. Father, I want to give you thanks that you are a father who does not tempt your children. But you are a loving, forgiving Heavenly Father who seeks to draw us to the living waters that are found in Jesus. And I pray this morning, even God, that we would just wrap ourselves in the righteousness of Jesus. Pray that the Spirit of God would work in our hearts and our minds and continue to change us into the image of Christ. We acknowledge Jesus as our victory. When things are going well, Jesus you are our victory because our own righteousness amounts to very little. And Father, when we stumble and fall, we cling to the cross of Jesus where we will find forgiveness. Our prayer, God, is that you would help us walk in victory. Help us do that as individuals. Help us, Father, even as a church, to be those kind of people. Give you thanks for it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.